Hello, Paul. Hello, Janina. Welcome back from your holiday. Thank you for Thank coming you, again. Thank you, Janina. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I do for recreation. Yes. <laughs> what are you doing on your holiday, by the way? Um, not as much as I expected to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, ha- I have this week down to start work on my boat. Yeah. Uh, preparing it for the season, but uh, there seems to be a lot of things getting away. Ah, podcasting, for instance. Podcasting, uh, a bit of running, maybe. Mm-hmm, that too. Uh, and I'm sure, like most people, there's a list of things that ought to have been done around the house. Yeah, always, always. Mm. But uh, it, this is Sweden, and spring is coming. Spring is coming. If, spring if almost has sprung. Spring mm. almost has sprung. The, the, uh, the snowdrops are up. Yeah. Uh, crocus are up. The uh, daffodils are in the shops. <laughs> yeah. I could just stay outside all the time. We have a long winter here in Sweden. And and then when when spring comes, yeah, we, we and, have a... And just to give you a real hint of spring is on the way. Uh-huh. One, I booked to change the tyres on my car to summer tyres. <laughs> I'm doing that today. <laughs> and two, yeah. um, I saw the first piece of pavement which where they've cleared away the gravel Ooh, from the winter. Oh, gravel-free pavement. Gravel-free yeah. pavement. That's yeah. a real sign of summer. It is. And, 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 and that's a kind of cultural reference. If, if you live in a place that doesn't get snow, you won't have any yeah. concept of <laughs> what a pleasure it is to get rid of all the grit. All it, yes. Yeah, it's fantastic. And we're going towards lighter days as well, both here in Sweden, and when it comes to 5G, uh, things are progressing. Things are happening. Things are happening at pace. Yes. Uh, we talked last week about uh, lots of things happening with um, new operator launches. Yeah. Uh, new operator launches with smartphones. Mm-hmm. And uh, that brings us, I think, to what we're going to talk about today. Yes. So what are we going to talk to the, about today, Janina? We are talking uh, about chipsets. And smartphones. And smartphones. And interoperability. And standalone versus non-standalone. We're talking about Spectrum. And we're talking to Lisa England, who is here. Who is the Global Partner Director. Uh, which means that she works with the chipset vendors for Ericsson. And, and the and, device vendors. And the device vendors. And tries uh, well, to get device vendors, that's uh, smartphone. Devices are smartphones. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, oh, and Or it could be modems as well. Like modems, wireless Internet access. of Things, yes. devices, all of those things. Yes, but, IoT um, devices as well. Yeah. They have them. Uh, so she is uh, working on uh, making all these devices and our networks working together. And she gets her hands on all the latest cool stuff. She knows all the inside information about what's happening behind the scenes out there. Mm -hmm. Before we get to talk to Lisa, Mm -hmm. do we have any posts from our listeners? We do. And I know you love this one. Yeah. So we got a mail uh, from Mosin. And I think he's in Canada. He says... uh, First of all, amazing job, and thank you so much for that, Mosin. <laughs> thank you for liking our podcast. And he has a question. With all the hype around millimeter wave-based transport, do you think this also indicates the demise or possibly decrease of capital investment of fiber-based transport for backhaul? Paul, 
What is your take on this? Transport, one of my favourite topics. (laughs) Uh, And if you've listened to some of the earlier podcasts, you'll know I worked with fibre for lots of years. So it's a uh, it's a topic close to my heart. So yeah. do we do we see that uh, that uh, microwave or millimeter wave based transport is going to impact fibre fibre investment? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the simple answer is no. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I'll give you the complicated answer anyway. Yeah. Um, and we talked about 5G transport in an earlier podcast, and one of the things that we said there was that uh, if you look in our Outlook, Outlook report, microwave Outlook report, what, what we see is that um, there are certain markets in the world which have uh, fibre-rich infrastructure. They've already dug down a lot of fibre, uh, and those are going to be predominantly fibre when it comes to backhaul, for instance. Um, but in the rest of the world... No, traditionally, microwave has been the predominant backhaul technology. Uh, if you go further back into the network, then if you get if you connect base stations with, with microwave, they connect back to somewhere, maybe through an aggregation point and then back to somewhere else. But from that point onwards, everything's on fibre in the core network, uh, into the you know through the edge. So there's a there's a fibre backbone network that's uh, that's going to be there and needs to be growing in line with the demand for traffic so that part of the network will grow uh, but we also see that in the backhaul technologies the share of backhaul taken by fiber will increase as the traffic grows uh, into the 5g era um, but the fu- but the that still means there's a lot of investment in microwave uh, because there's uh, investment to increase the traffic capacity uh, and new sites and and so on uh, but at the same time, there's there's uh, increasing capacity demand on the fibre side. So in in essence, both is true. Uh, then if you look perhaps at the fixed access side, so home broadband, 5G will bring fixed wireless access. So you could say that uh, the the mobile technology will take a share of the market for the for the last mile for connecting people's houses. But even there, of course, um, the the backhauling of that traffic, a lot of that will happen on, on fibre networks. Um, but at the same time, you know, around the world, there will still continue to be a lot of investment in fibre um, deployments for, for rolling out uh, home broadband. And uh, do we see that this is different in different parts of the world? Uh, I mean, different parts of the world have have had different strategies when it comes to rolling out fibre and different you know, different policies in terms of um, how the governments want to support uh, infrastructure. So China, for instance, is a classic example where they've invested early in significant fibre investment, which they're now able to reuse or use when it comes to um, rolling out 5G is the same way that they rolled out 4G, mm-hmm. um, but uh, in in a lot of other markets, m- you know, microwave has been a very popular choice for for backhaul because it's it's very quick to roll out. Um, normally, it's quicker to get permission to to put up a microwave link than it is to get permission to di- to dig up the street and dig down fiber. Um, so, fiber is in, in that circumstance is a bit more of a long term choice. You have to you have to look at uh, you have to plan ahead 
and you have yeah. to put that that capacity into the ground to be able to use it. Mm. Um, and then there's different commercial models. Some operators do that themselves. Uh, in other markets, and maybe a third party will actually own the fibre and, and lease dark fibre to an operator to, to run their services over. Mm. Um, so, it, so it's quite varied, but the simple answer is fibre's still there for the long term. But then, if I read this uh, blog that was just out by our American colleague, Kevin Murphy, uh, on ericsson.com, uh, he points out that uh, in many areas there simply isn't enough fiber in the ground to support multiple operators planned for advanced LTE and 5G. That's what they, what they say, the devil is in the detail. Ah. Um, even in a market which, is, which in general has a lot of fiber deployed, um, when it comes to actually wanting to put up a site at a particular place with a specific capacity, um, is there a fiber there? Mm. And if there's not a fiber there, you know, do you want to dig down a fiber and pull mm. or pull in a fiber, which takes uh, a lot of time and effort and and well, uh, I mean, the technology technology is advanced, so there are some clever ways of making it, making it easier. But you still mm. need to to do it. And you, if you need to dig up the street, mm. then then you know that's. Uh, That's not always the easiest and most popular thing no, to do. Exactly, and here in Sweden we have six months of when you can't dig. So, yeah, but if you if you want to dig up the street, then obviously mm. you need to you need to wait until the electricity company have just finished digging up the street so that you can dig it up again. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. part of the that's, that's part, part of that. Murph, Murphy's th theory of why three buses oh, yes. always come at once. Yes. <laughs> Those kinds no, of but things. Mm. No, no yeah. but mm. seriously, you know, it, 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 there's a choice to make in, in in every deployment. Is is it economic or to me, or does it uh, work from a timing point of view to dig down fiber, mm. or is it easier and quicker and cheaper to to use a microwave link mm. instead? Uh, and those cost benefit analyses are going on all all the time. Yeah. And we can link to this uh, the microwave report uh, in our uh, podcast notes, and also uh, I know there there is a new uh, report just coming out right now called Mobile Transport Evolution, uh, which uh, also outlines a lot of what is coming when for the transport networks when it comes to 5G for the future for the deployments. So let's add those to the notes. Add, add those to the notes, and mm -hmm. uh, that's bedtime reading. Bedtime reading for everyone. <laughs> good, uh, good. Although I'm not sure if he's going to keep you up at night or <laughs> put you to sleep. But that's <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's see about that. Uh, yes, I think that was all the questions, and we have a full. Uh, Uh, talk with uh, Lisa uh, coming, coming up, up in just a second. Yeah, and before we start that though, I need. I think we might need to comment on the sound uh, a little bit because, uh, in case you can hear something in the background, it's not Paul's tummy rumbling, but yeah. <laughs> but it's it's, <laughs> it's boring. <laughs> Literally, it's boring. Somewhere, oh, in the, it's boring. somewhere far off in the distance in the building, yeah. there, there's somebody drilling holes or something, yes. and you can hear the vibrations in the background. Yeah. Listen carefully. Then you can hear a lot of drilling going on. Yeah. yeah. So, so now that now that we've told you, you don't need to write in and say it was boring. <laughs> don't do that. 
But if you want to tell us something, write us on 5G podcast at ericsson.com. We're there for you to answer your questions. Always. Always. Uh, and now over to our interview with Lisa Eklund. We are here today with Lisa Englund. Hey Lisa. Hi. Welcome to the webcast studio here. You are the global partnering director at Ericsson Networks. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that? Yeah, that is something that I wonder every morning that I wake up actually. Um, <laughs> I think formally it means that I am uh, the uh, responsible person at Ericsson to work with a number of different chipset and device vendors. Yeah, mm-hmm. For me, it's very much um, Qualcomm-centric, working with you know Qualcomm and their customers, mm-hmm. meaning Samsung or Sony and, and so on in the device uh, domain, those that are actually doing smartphones based on Qualcomm. So that's uh, how I'm spending my days um, to... Uh, work with them to see what's going on in the especially 5G domain right now mm-hmm. and making sure whatever we are doing is the same that they're doing. And, and I guess there's a lot happening right now. You could say that. <laughs> um, I'm driving this interoperability program um, with Qualcomm here in this particular building actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think at any given time we have a two-digit number of Qualcomm engineers working with the Ericsson engineers here trying to make their chipset work with our 5G system. Wow. So in the the device area, does uh, is it usually that a smartphone manufacturer is working with one chipset vendor or do they work with several different ones? So different vendors, uh, different smartphone vendors, I would say, have different tactics. Mm-hmm. So this is not only a technical question, right? It's a price it's, point It's a price question. point question. Exactly. It's a commercial question. It's a very much so. I mean, yes, look at what we're doing at Ericsson. We course are trying to get components from several vendors to see where is the best price and that goes on also on the bigger smartphone vendors if you take somebody like Samsung they're big enough that they are doing this they're always looking at their in-house chipset the Samsung LSI chipset and Qualcomm yeah, for the high-end devices. If you go to what we call the schoolyard phones and so on, you might find also some MediaTek inside. And so they they are working with a multitude of chipset. And of course they're doing this uh, in order to keep the price point exactly where they are and to keep a good fight going on between the companies to compete for, for a slot. Mm-hmm. So with Samsung, for instance, um, in general, if I generalize, the, um, if you go to Europe in Asia, it's a Samsung LSI chipset inside. And if you go to um, the US, it's a Qualcomm chipset inside. Oh. Mm. The device will look exactly the same. Oh. But it's way different. So this Samsung X, for instance, yeah. it will come out in different flavors. Mm. You know, one that encompasses high band or millimeter wave that will be Qualcomm right. based. Mm-hmm. And another one that is more focused on mid band and that, that's um, something in the science. Because it's like it's a global phone, but then the flavors for the certain markets and, and the. And but, but that's partly driven by the frequency bands. 
Yes and no. I mean, this tactics uh, was done by Samsung also on 4G, uh, where mm -hmm. you did not see uh, that maybe one of these chipset vendors did not encompass one of the 5G bands. I mean, they were all the same. They still uh, behave mm. the same. And I think uh, the most famous one, as we all know, of doing exactly the same is Apple. Yeah. Because they were doing that. They were working first with Intel in the good old days, and they've been working only with Qualcomm uh, for a while. And then they started this line of having both in-house, and then the war with Qualcomm started, and now they're only working with Intel right this second. Uh -huh. So uh, Samsung is not the only one that is having working this tactic. Mm -hmm. But it does require you to be a big smartphone vendor and to have a lot of you know, people working in projects and so on. Mm. And and if you're a smaller player, um, something like you know LG or Samsung, oh, I'm sorry, LG or uh, or Sony or somebody like that. You, you you don't have staff enough to drive different projects like this. Mm -hmm. And then you usually work with one. And then you pick one. Yeah. Mm. So is there a difference between the the chipsets? Is it like, oh, you get this for this, or is it just like the price? Is it like a technology difference or? A <coughs> I think the different chipset vendors would like it to be a major technology difference mm -hmm. between themselves. But we're all working in, in, in a marketplace where um, we're all driven by the same requirements, pretty much. Yeah, because it's so like standardized with CGPP uh, when it comes to mm -hmm. what it actually has to Mm. To produce, mm -hmm. but, but but when it comes to smartphones, I mean, if you look in, if if you look out on the on the internet and uh, at websites that, that focus on smartphones, they do benchmark tests on different smartphones with different devices in. So clearly, you, know, you see a difference in at least in the implementation when you take a chipset and you put it into a smartphone, mm -hmm. and some of that must be down to the chipset. Yeah, it. It is, um, and of course, different chipset vendors try to vet themselves and see, you know, who is the better one, who is more stable, who is sustaining the higher bit rates, the longer time, and so on. And it's and not has, only who down has best to battery life. who has better battery life. Uh, of course, it's another one, and so on. But and, and this is, of course, a question that I get a lot from the CTOs coming in here. You know, what should I pick for my projects? I mean, what phone is the better one? And, mm -hmm. and of course, from an Ericsson point of view, uh, you know, this is one of our specialities that we work with the ecosystem at large. Yeah. And uh, we, we don't pick favorites. Hmm. So, so, when, so when it comes to interoperability, which we, which we talked about, we we're actually working with most of the chipset vendors, mm -hmm. all of the chipset vendors. Yeah, but before we talk about that, can we just <coughs> recap interoperability? Why is it so important? And what is it? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. <coughs> it's a term that we're using, at least within, within Ericsson, to take the process from what we call test vector exchange. This is a very technical term where, you know, we're basically uh, sharing technical files between us and the chipset vendor. What was it called? Test vectors. Test vectors. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is where we're playing that we're doing something. So we have a pre-recorded file. This is what our implementation will be. And we're using this in our simulators and we're giving that to the chipset vendor and vice versa. So that's where you start. You do it on sort of play scenario. And when that is all done, we're going into actual physical testing. 
So the chipset vendor will come to us with the first uh, implementation on the physical chipset. And we're doing the interoperability testing. And the interoperability testing means that, you know, the feature of the chipset vendor and the same feature on us on our side is actually working well together. Meaning that, yes, we can set up a data call. We can get up the full bitrate. Yes, we can do handover, um, et cetera, whatever the feature area is. And, and that's down to all, all people in the industry should have the same interpretation of what the standard says. Correct. Because if, you, if two people read the standard in a different way, you end up with two different implementations that don't quite talk to each other the way it was expected. Correct. And, yeah. and we find, I mean, a lot of that mm -hmm. in our labs. Yeah. Mm. So, um, you know, we think we're doing something right and the chipset vendor thinks, oh, no, I'm right. And then we do end up in a paper exercise on reading the specs and agreeing, hmm, actually this time you were actually interpreting the wrong way. And <laughs> now it's us. And we keep a scoreboard yeah. on that, of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course, when you find one of those points of difference, if you want to call, mm -hmm. them, or call them that, and you d a disagreement over how should this be interpreted, mm -hmm. Then you need to go back and look at all the other device defenders that we've worked with and how did they do it. And if if you were to agree with vendor X that actually they were right and we were wrong, then maybe we need to go to vendors Y, Z, Alpha, Beta and Ur mm -hmm. to to say, hey, we've uh, identified this thing that uh, that maybe you want to look at in, mm. in this functionality. Mm. And so it can, yes, exactly what you're saying, and it can be on two different levels. One, right, okay, we just read the text in a dumb way, yeah, and then we asked to, of course, a reset of that with the vendor to, hey, we have realized that we want to interpret the text this way instead. Mm -hmm. Do mm. we all agree? Um, or it could be worse. We have identified a flaw in the standard. So mm. that then it actually can result in that we need to go back to our 3DPP delegates and so on to either make a change request or a clarification of the standard. Mm -hmm. So it can be very technical and we solve it in code or we need to go and, and readjust the specifications themselves. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and then... And all of this yeah. so you can have your smartphone in your hands and... and of course. And uh, yeah. play your video game faster. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. I mean, the goal with all of this is, of course, not to have a technical uh, fun time uh, together. It is to enable us being able to launch our system with a well-functional smartphone or whatever other type of device um, at the end of the day. I mean, that's, that's the goal with the whole thing. Yeah. Mm. So how is it going? <laughs> <laughs> it's extremely intense right now. It is. Um, mm -hmm. We... Um, we're heading up now for um, launches in the second quarter of this year in uh, what we normally call mid-band or the 3.5 or 2.6 gigahertz domain and in millimeter wave domain in multiple markets with mm -hmm. multiple chipset vendors um, and with multiple device vendors, multiple smartphone vendors. Mm -hmm. and, and multiple so markets, you mean different countries? Different countries, mm -hmm. like... Yeah. Because you, we have Asia, we have uh, Europe, um, we have Southeast Asia, we have North America, you know, launches all over the place. So it's extremely intense right now. So um, everybody's basically working uh, seven days a week, uh, almost oh. 25 hours, four hours a day right now. Wow. And, and the one thing that an operator needs to be able to launch a commercial service is a smartphone that works in the bands that they have available to launch. Correct. 
So uh, you know, with with slightly different bandsets being available in different countries, then the it's up to the smartphone vendors to actually deliver smartphones that match all of those uh, spectrum bands. That is correct, but um, you you could say that the um, the enablement on on the frequency band actually comes from the chipset in itself. Mm. And here is actually one of the areas you asked me about differences before, uh, where the different chipsets are different. So there are a few chipset vendors that are more focused on midband, mm-hmm. mm. and uh, a rather small select group, almost like one chipset vendor is that, uh, that is focusing also on millimeter wave right now. Oh, so the the frequency enablement actually comes all the way down to. Um, to the chipset. Now the smartphone on top of that can choose which band they want to work with, right? Mm. And here also we see a bit of a difference that we have more, I would say more smartphone vendors that are right now focusing on enabling mid-band than millimeter wave in general. And and mid-band that's 2.6 gigahertz, uh, 3.5 Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm Interesting. So can you give us some, some examples of what is being tested at the moment or what's being or at which stage are we now? Is it like final tests? Yeah, we're, we're getting to, uh, you know, to the final testing right we now are. on millimeter wave. Of course, uh, the, um, the major obstacle or the major uh, fun thing, if you, if you look, look at it from that uh, way, is, is to handle beam management. Uh, in a live network on millimeter wave, and that's uh, where we're doing drive testing right now, meaning <coughs> that you have to be able to connect to all the beams, uh, the um. wide and the narrow beams in the millimeter wave radio implementation, and when you move about, that you're always connected to, to, the, to the best possible beam. Okay. So this is sort of the news and the, the techie stuff in millimeter wave domain, and that's exactly um. where... Uh, where this is going on right now in mm-hmm. the operator network. Yeah, yeah and, and drive testing is exactly what it sounds like. You have, mm-hmm. a, you have a car with some equipment in it that drives around the roads that, that is receiving the signal from the, from the network and, and measuring which bands, what signal strength, what quality and, and all of that stuff. Yes, and that is being done in the operator networks as we speak, but also here in Shista in, in our own testing. So we have our own live over-the-air test network um, here in Shista where yeah. we are doing exactly mm. yeah, that type of testing. Uh, and do they then basically drive around with smartphone prototypes in the cars, or do you have other things that you test? <laughs> So this is becomes <laughs> a, a bit tricky, right? Because the smartphone vendors they um, are a little bit secretive on mm-hmm. you know how this would look like and the volumes they don't want to share mm-hmm. with anybody at this point in uh-huh. time. So uh, the testing that we're doing here is more with the chipsets, uh, and the testing that we do with the smartphones is usually more in the operator oh, networks. Mm-hmm. So how do you test the chipset then? <laughs> like have it connected to a computer <laughs> how do you test the chipset? no 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 I mean if you, if you go to Qualcomm this is a well known uh, um, situation so mm-hmm. it, it's all different mm-hmm. I would say yeah, depending on what chipset you're talking about but um, Qualcomm is rather open about um, how their chipset looks like mm-hmm. so it is the actual physical chipset and implementation that they're selling to their OEMs they pack inside a test device uh-huh. So it just looks like any smartphone. Yeah. It's just 
if I dare to be uh, rude, a bit <laughs> uglier. <laughs> than, I think we've seen those. Yes. Yeah, they're yeah. a bit chunkier. Yeah, a little bit yeah. chunkier, but yeah. it uh, at least the not purpose the, uh, yeah. beautifully for what we're doing. So that's a way of cutting out the smartphone piece from the dependency yeah. Yeah. from the testing that we're doing right now. So sort of, yeah, like you are driving around then with a sort of device at least in yes mm. <laughs> yeah in so. the network well that's interesting to know for me but i have no idea <laughs> yeah but uh presumably we wish we must be right on the verge of having real 5g smartphones that is correct um, and mm. in korea for instance you know they we talked last week about uh, the fact that they've announced they'll be going live in their network in april <laughs> uh, and i think it was the, a couple of weeks ago we, there was news with uh, kt KT or SKT, I uh, uh, can't remember. But uh, <laughs> but testing the Samsung, uh, the Samsung it, ten five. The last one was KT at least. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And testing the the device in their network and mm. showing, is it two point seven gigabits per second or something like that? Half on half on four G, half on five G. Uh, no. So if they if they're going to go live this month, presumably they're going to have smartphones this month. Yes. So uh, I mean. The, the smartphones uh, are out there in testing, and I mm. think now it's just a game of making sure we have the right stability on the net infrastructure side and the right stability on the smartphone. So, cool. do we? Because <laughs> now it's only half a month. Is it getting there? It's um, it's an intense <laughs> period right now. <laughs> <laughs> it that way. Very diplomatic answer. <laughs> There'll be, uh, there'll be someone from the smartphone to supply hand carrying the first devices to the shop. Probably, yeah. That arrive by uh, overnight courier the night before. Wow. Okay. So. Um, so. The we we talked about uh, the interoperability tests. We also want to talk about the spectrum. What what impact will the spectrum? Because. I know not like not all areas have even had the the auctions for new spectrum bands for 5G. What impact does this have on the devices? In one way, you could say whatever it, it doesn't have any impact. Yeah. <laughs> and on that's, the other hand, you could good. say it has a, a major impact on, yeah. on, on the devices. Of course, what is out there now? Um, in terms of what has been allocated from 5G milli- spectrum for millimeter wave and for for mid-band again, the 2.6 and the 3.5, that can be supported. I mean, whatever other band that has not been auctioned out or we're just talking about, it's just a twinkle in, in the chipset's mother's eye at the moment and will be mm-hmm. supported at some later time mm-hmm. in the industry. Um, so if you look at this first generation of chipset, they, they are, of course, only encompassing the bands that has been approved. Right. I, I get the question a lot about what we internally call low band or FDD bands or basically any LTE band that's already out there mm-hmm. and when that will be supported um, for 5G. And that is something of the future, but not that far of a future. So I would say that the next generation chipsets coming along during 2019 and maybe starting already in the middle of 2019, start to encompass also those spans, perhaps not all of them, 
Yeah. But the most important ones, the, mo the, the ones that the operators really want to use for their 5G transition and to use with um, the spectrum sharing features that I know that you've talked right. about in the past. Yes. So, um, and I just heard that the other week that now Intel and Qualcomm, that they will uh, support the spectrum sharing Ericsson spectrum sharing, right? C correct. And that is also, in a sense, uh, part of this collaboration that we do with the chipset vendors, mm -hmm. you know, under the head heading of this interoperability program, mm -hmm. where we're talking about these future features and how we jointly need to embrace them and also the timing of it and when that's going to happen. And yeah. that is what you're seeing now also in yeah. the communication. Yeah. And just to clarify, the support for that is actually going to be in the standards, isn't it? It is cool. a standardized it support. Yeah. So, so although Janina said support for Ericsson spectrum sharing is actually standardized uh, in, in, in the uh, 3GPP standard. Yeah, the, the handles that we want from the chipset, that is standardized. And then, yeah. of course, uh, it's up to us if we want to use it in some fantastic way. And uh, <laughs> we think we are, and that's why we call it the Ericsson spectrum sharing. Yeah. But the standardization uh, components that it's based on are, of course, there already. Mm. But, it, but it means that that functionality to be able to run 4G and 5G simultaneously in the same band um, you know the the smartphones. You don't need to. You don't need to know. Do I have a smartphone that does it or not? The chipsets will be able to support it. The chipsets will be able to support it. Mm. That's cool. Yeah. Should we talk a little bit about uh, standalone and not standalone then? Yeah. Uh, maybe we should start by clarifying <laughs> the, the difference. We, we've said it before, but the difference between standalone and non-standalone. So. Non-standalone is what we're doing first, and it requires an LTE network anchor uh, in order to run 5G, so meaning that, that the uh, synchronization, the uh, signaling, um, and so on is requires the LTE leg to uh, distribute that type of, of communication. Hmm. It also allows you to marry the uh, LTE speeds with the the NR speeds um, in this carry aggregation type and of NR being 5G and NR mm -hmm. being 5G mm -hmm. standalone is sort of what it sounds like it's a lonely thing <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, so uh, in standalone you don't have any friends in the LTE side basically and you don't require any LTE network there um, so in order to run 4G, 5G if you turn the 4G network off your 5G network would keep running yes yeah whereas in non standalone you need to be connected to 4G for the 5G to work. Mm. Right. Yeah. So and uh, and then it sounds like uh, the standalone will be further down the path, or do you see that coming soon? So it's one of those uh, questions that have so many different answers, unfortunately. So uh, we've seen a huge engine by China a driving SA for the longest time. Uh, and they just recently decided, that, ah, well, wait a minute. Um, we also want to launch really, really early. So we're going to start to launch on, on non-standalone uh, initially now during the second quarter of this year. Mm -hmm. And that essentially means that something's going to happen to the standalone ecosystem if no, nobody else picks up and drive um, standalone with force going forward. So from, from a device point of view, everybody has said, okay, 
also for China now, I need to launch my uh, NSA phone. And that, of course, means that whatever plans I had to commercialize the essay version of it needs to wait a little bit. Mm -hmm. So priorities sort of change. So mm -hmm. exactly what that means for the essay ecosystem on, on devices, we, we're a little unsure right now. But it seems to be drifting a little bit to the right. Does it mean anything for the normal smartphone users that it's uh, taking some time? No, I, I don't think so. Of course, SA from a radio point of view is a little bit less complicated maybe. So, you know, over time, maybe it will have some um, better solutions, better solution mm -hmm. in terms of battery life and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, for, for your regular user, the apps, what you're using your phone for, that sort of thing, not any major difference, I would say. Yeah, I would say that SA will have a bigger impact when you start to look into other type of devices mm -hmm. uh, in the industry where you start to use maybe uh, slicing and uh, where you really want to capitalize on the low latency and those things. So th for those devices, it mm -hmm. will have a mm. major impact. So, so we see SA being the technology of choice when it comes to Internet of Things connectivity for, for what we call a critical IoT and industrial automation IoT. Ooh. With time, yes, but mm. I, I do believe it will start already with NSA, you know, of course, but uh, with time I believe uh, that's where we're heading as mm. an industry at large, when I mean, we were heading towards the SA type of solutions. Mm. So when do you see IoT devices for 5G coming? Mm. <laughs> I get that a lot. So define a 5G IoT device. I mean, if you're cost insensitive, Mm -hmm. Then, of course, we can start to see this, um, you know, based on the non-standalone type of deal. Already towards the end, maybe end of this year, we were starting to see modules, that mm. type of devices come wow. over, coming so out so that you can maybe start to integrate it in a robot or whatever it is that you yeah. want to do. Mm -hmm. But so again, cost, the, cost the incentive, that's, that's like uh, high value applications where the, exactly. where the value that the connectivity brings. Mm -hmm means that you can support a, a, a more expensive device. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, I get that question a lot. I mean, can I compare it to a narrowband IoT device that where the cost point needs to be uh, just a few cents or dollars, cents, right? Cents. Yeah, and, and that's going to take quite some time, mm -hmm. My, like years <gasps> and years, and probably, you know, two, three, four chipset generations before you can see anything like that uh, happening. So again, IoT for 5G, at least at the onset for the next maybe two at years at least, it's, it's going to be high-cost applications. Mm -hmm. High-value applications. True. <laughs> that is true. Uh, and, and then mm -hmm. just, to, just to say, of course, Janina, we had Marie Hogan on the podcast. Oh, was it a month ago now? Maybe a little bit more. Uh, talking January. To, talking mm -hmm. specifically about 5G and IoT. So... If listeners are interested, go back there and, is a and hear more about that there. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, one one uh, topic close to heart for me is, of course, when will things when when will I get hi, I here in Sweden get to try five G? When is it coming to Sweden? <laughs> yeah, that's um, that's a tough question. Uh, here in Sweden, actually, um, we are still we still don't have uh, the licenses 
mm. allocated for 5G. Yeah. Yeah. But, so but, I don't but, know when this will happen, actually. <laughs> oh. but, but if Janina sneaks over to the US and buys a smartphone and brings it back, can she connect up to this network here in Shista? No. <laughs> that was that was not the answer I was no, looking for. No. Of course, the, this uh, trial network that we're running here yeah, in Chiste no, is a very close network. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know exactly what uh, SIM cards and users we have in that, so mm. nobody can roam into that oh. or anything like that. Yeah. But but there are mm. other trial networks already in in Sweden, aren't there? There's one at KGH mm-hmm. and one now in Eskilstuna mm-hmm. with, with, uh, Volvo. with Volvo. With Volvo. Mm-hmm. Are there other test sites here? Here in Sweden, you mean? Yeah. Um, I'm not entirely sure uh, if we have any more than the ones that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. We have more than one operator, right? So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Might be some more going yeah. on in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen. Uh, 5G news coming uh, about devices and, and actual networks being launched in both uh, South Korea and in uh, the US. What's the next market that you see where it's going to get launched? Or do you see which markets are closest to being launched uh, now in real time? So, <coughs> of course, you have Southeast Asia also. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, Singapore? Australia, for instance, Australia. Um, is gearing up for, for mm. launches. And also here in Europe, um, a few selected operators are looking at launches in the Q2 timeframe. Ooh. <laughs> sorry. <coughs> wow. But, but so I'm sorry. <laughs> not, not, not this particular country. Not this, no. not this country. Okay, but, but that is, it's coming closer. But, mm? but, but you'll be able to rush down to somewhere south from where we are, because pretty much everywhere is south from where we are in, in <laughs> Europe, and buy your smart 5G smartphone and bring come back to Sweden and run it on LTE. <coughs> yeah. But everyone will look at you and say, well, what's that? It says, this is my 5G smartphone. Currently right. with not 5G, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, in time, it'll get 5G. Yeah. Maybe. Possibly. If you bought it with the right bands. Yeah, but I think what you're alluding to then is that uh, there will be some sort of magic uh, turn on of that smartphone uh, for 5G also in, in this market. Yeah. And that might or, or might not happen or because it's all dependent on, on the SIM card inside if it will oh. be allowed to be used for 5G and so on. Yeah. And depending on time, I would say that in a country it takes a long time before this happened most likely it's another model than the one that you rushed down into Europe to buy mm. oh, but but that that happened to me with 4G or I, I bought a I bought a phone I can't remember if it was a smartphone or a feature phone probably mm-hmm. uh, for 3G mm-hmm. and I uh, thought oh it was a 3G phone or whatever and then sometime later after 4G launched I was in into the shop and they said oh you could have 4G on this do you want me to turn it on exactly <laughs> <laughs> no, so that's uh, those little magic uh, things c- can happen uh, going going forward yeah. here as well. Given that it's the same, you know, the right yeah. um, spectrum mm. yeah, that we're looking at. But so far, I mean, I wouldn't be sure if I bought a phone somewhere else. I wouldn't be sure that it would work roaming in another country. So roaming on 5G, I would be rather sure it won't work. Yeah. <laughs> 
And it's not, I mean, it's, of course, a technical matter in itself, mm. uh, but uh, it's also a matter of agreements mm. between operators that, yes, I will allow you to roam on my 5G network, etc., yeah. right? So that's one level. Um, and, and technically, also, it would mean that then we're going to go back into this interoperability situation that you know, it's actually tested in whatever configurations you have in the different countries. Mm. So that is a technical issue yeah. mm. in itself. So yeah. what you will roam on is 4G. Mm. So you yeah. can buy your fantastic 5G so device so. and you might be using it as a fantastic 4G device. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Hopefully a 4G advanced. <laughs> yes. But, but presumably that situation, commercial situation, is slightly easier with some of these big operators that are multinational or, or operating in multiple countries. You might, you might hope that some of those will be able to offer roaming. You'd Subject think to the technical um, limitations. And yeah, but that's and a whole industry in itself to set yeah. up this uh, roaming agreement. So it's not super simple. No. This was super interesting and getting really tangible when it comes to devices and what we can see coming. Really, really interesting to have you here. Lisa, is there anything else we want to yeah, ask? Yeah, I have one last question. Yeah? Have you actually had your hands on a real 5G smartphone? Yes. Yes. <laughs> is it exciting? <laughs> <laughs> yes. After, after, after years and years of work to actually see one, what's, how does it feel? No, but it's, it's, it's great. I mean, if you look at this whole industry uh, two to three be, uh, years back, um, we were having the Ericsson UE um, when we were doing testing, and that Ericsson UE is bigger than myself. Mm. Oh, you mean that's this the one, huge... The one that looks like a floor, yeah, that looks like a floor yes. cleaning machine. Yes. That's <laughs> one, exactly. Right. So, so yeah. in the last you know, two to three years, we have moved yeah. from that type of um, implementation that is so big that none of us can even you know, carry it. Mm. And it's the same, actually, from the chipset vendors. Their first implementations that came in, they came in in crates. Yeah. You cannot carry. Wow. And now... You know, the testing we're doing is either with this ugly smartphone from, from Qualcomm or something similar from, from the other vendors that actually looks like a phone, talks like a phone, and smells like a phone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, it's it truly like exciting, I must yeah. say. Yeah. Cool. That sounds like a good note. Yeah. Good times ahead. Thank you, Lisa. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And thank you all. Thank you. And bye. Bye, everyone.